If I can do it, what's your excuse? What's holding you back? What's stopping you? Go on and do it. What's there to lose? If I can do it, what's your excuse? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Maxwell Ivy, known around the world as the blind blocker. And this is another episode of What's Your Excuse? Part of a week-long experiment, challenge, whatever you want to call it, in honor of Mobility Matters, where I'm going to be bringing you five podcast episodes or conversations in five days, starting on the 28th. Now, you can find What's Your Excuse at theblindblogger.net, and like always, I'm hoping to bring you a conversation that will cause you to overcome the excuses that are holding you back by interviewing people who have overcome adversity, who have thrived despite of difficult life circumstances, who have struck out on their own and started a unique business, or who have real-world tested advice to share with us, and as always, also people who I'm personally inspired by or curious about. So you can find it, again, at theblindblogger.net. You can also find What's Your Excuse show along with the other shows hosted by people with disabilities on the What's Your Excuse network at wyexcuse.com. And, of course, you can always tell Alexa or Google, hey, play What's Your Excuse? So, again, I'm, I'm here uh, focusing on Mobility Matters, which is the fifth annual anniversary con- conference put on by Portland State University's Department of Education, specifically the, the part to highlight their program where they offer training for people wanting to go into orientation and mobility instruction. Basically, that means people who teach people like me, the blind, visually impaired, those people losing their vision, how to navigate the world more safely and to be more interactive with their surroundings and their lives. So uh, I understand that they offer scholarships, that there's a severe lack of trained, qualified orientation and mobility instructors in the country. So I hope y'all will check out Portland State University as well as the conference as I have mentioned previously, the link for registration is a very long link, so I'll put it in the show description. I, I do hope that you will check out the website once I give it to you, and then also look into the conference and consider attending. I do know they're offering a ticket discount for college students, and I feel like the prices that they have set are very reasonable for an all-day conference. It's going to include a wealth of speakers who will uh, talk about subjects such as climate change, uh, inclusive transportation options, and also a way to develop public spaces like restaurants, hotels, schools, universities, etc., that are accessible with and for people with disabilities. And again, I'll include the link in the show description. And today I thought it would be kind of interesting to speak to one of the students and as luck would have it, one of their students has been heavily involved in planning and pulling off this big conference. Uh, her name is Samantha, and she has a bachelor's degree in business and marketing from San Diego State University. She's originally from San Diego and, and in fact, still living in San Diego, taking her classes virtually. Uh, she, she is about halfway through her master's program. So she has about a year left before she gets to go out there and start working with people who have uh, vision loss. Uh, and I apologize for this, y'all. I didn't ask her in advance if she has any personal social media links. 
So we'll just have to ask her about that when she actually comes in here. So uh, Samantha, I want to welcome you to What's Your Excuse? Hi, thank you. What a nice warm welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed that intro. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I do my best and you know, usually, usually I miss something or mess something up, but the point is to get us off to a start. And so uh, why don't you tell people a little bit more about Samantha and, you know, what it was like maybe growing up in, uh, in, San, Diego, in San Diego? Oh, growing up in, in Southern California, San Diego was amazing. I have no complaints. They don't call it America's finest city for nothing. <laughs> You know, as a, as a Texan, I should be offended by that, and I should have some sort of a response to it, but I really don't have one, so <laughs> I might have to relocate when my fellow Texans find out I didn't take up for us as, as strongly oh, as no. I should have. Oh, I, I think they'll forgive you. Texas is a great state, too, and our director for the O&M, uh, for the O&M program at PSU is from Texas as well, Dr. Amy Parker. So it's all fair game. Um, I love San Diego. We're close to the beach. We're close to the mountains. When it's snowing in the winter, we can go snowboarding. We're close to Mexico. If you're ever in need of a really great taco, <laughs> um, it's all around great. I, I love it here. I'll never leave San Diego. Right. Now, b- before we started recording, you mentioned that one of the reasons that you are going into this field of study uh, is that uh, when you were younger, you had quite a bit of experience with optometrists and ophthalmologists, and that kind of got you started thinking about this. Yes. So when I was about five or six, um, my older sister noticed that one of my eyes was turning inward. So I went to the optometrist and was diagnosed with what is quote unquote lazy eye in one of my eyes. And it was really bad. I don't remember exactly the acuity um, but we had to patch the good eye, work up that optic nerve muscle, right, just to get that um, the brain to acknowledge that that eye does work. <laughs> it's there. Let's tap into it. Um, so now my bad eye is twenty eighty, which is wonderful. Um, it still has like lack of color, um, and my good eye is my good eye. It's twenty thirty. It's not perfect. But um, very, very lucky that like that was caught at a young age and was able to correct it as much as we did, building that muscle memory up and going to the optometrist and going to the ophthalmologist uh, all the time. And when you're little, I was so stubborn, as most little kids are. I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want them checking my eyes. It was like <laughs> it was like pulling teeth. It was really hard for me and, and my mother. <laughs> um. So I do have those experiences going to the doctor's offices, not wanting to be poked and prodded at and tested. Um, and even until today, I, I know I have to get checked. I have to check my eyes every so often. And I'm still like, I have that little ounce of negativity with it, even though I know they're doctors and they want to help me and I want to be helped. <laughs> but just like that experience as a little kid, not wanting to go, um, like I have a resistance to it still till today. So um, stemming from that even bigger, I have a friend here in San Diego. She works in the Poway Unified School District. Um, she's been a certified O&M instructor for several years, and she loves her job. And she loves the confidence she can give to kids in her school district. So that's from preschool to 
um, until they're 22. So some kids stay in the in high school, as you know, that transitional age um, until they're 22 when they actually leave the high school district. So she's been telling me about this job and she loves it. And for the last couple of years, you know, I wanted to get married and have kids. And I was like, I don't have time to go back to school and get my master's. And then COVID happened and everything went online. And I was like, okay, this is a great opportunity. The O&M program from Portland State University is mostly online. So I can even read my textbooks through the PSU library online. If, uh, if they're not available there, I purchase them. Um, I attend our webinars. They're usually in the evenings, two days a week or one day a week. Um, practicum hours, the student teaching hours that we have to fulfill have to be in person. They can also be online um, through like, a, like San Diego Center for the Blind teaches some classes online virtually here in San Diego. So I, I participate and I'm actually teaching one of their intro classes once a week. Um, the other class that's in person is the advanced cane class. Um, so learning, I would put be put under sleep shade, so completely blindfolded, and I would learn uh, how to learn the cane mechanics and orientation. That was a really fun class, but most <laughs> of it is online, which I love. Um, we meet up through our Zoom meetings. Everybody's chatting. We have discussion boards. So it's, it's kind of like it's like the best of both worlds. I didn't have to go to Portland, Oregon to get this, to be in this master's program, but I still get to see all my classmates (laughs) through Zoom. (laughs) Yeah. Which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember those eye doctor visits. Mine weren't as bad. One, because I was generally the good kid, but the other thing was, (laughs) are you saying I was a bad kid? Some of us are more docile than others, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but my my eye doctor was smart. She had a play area in her in her office, and you know how most times you put the they they dilate your eyes, and then you, you have to sit there and do nothing for a while. Yes. Well, in her office, when you got your eyes dilated, you got to watch a cartoon, and the cartoon lasted just long enough. Your eyes to dial it, then they come in and check you, and they give you the paper sunglasses and send you home. Nice. Yeah, so it wasn't as bad as it could be. Um, and I remember one thing she had in her office: she had what looked like a mountain that you would look into, and you were supposed to find a bear or something inside. I never found that darn bear, but <laughs> you know, it was so. But I can only imagine that 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 was very stressful at that age, and I don't remember those. I don't remember those um, those eye patches very fondly either. That was never fun. Yeah, uh, never. All right. So one of the things I like to talk to people about all the time is some of is many of the things I've done over the years. I did because somebody suggested I'd be good at it or challenged me to do it. And so I wanted you to talk a little bit more about the your your friend and how she really kind of talked you into the whole idea of going for your master's and getting into this field. <laughs> oh, she's a wonderful person. Well, first of all, her name is Hangame Abuchan. And she just, she loves O&M so much. She's so passionate about it. She's passionate about the advocacy. She wants to reach out to these two people who are, eligible for O&M lessons, but haven't been assessed properly or haven't been assessed by an O&M specialist ever 
So there are people that are qualified for these services that aren't getting them. So I think that's also where, you know, where her passion comes from for telling me about it. She does tell a lot of her friends about her job. She loves it. Um, but it's that we have, there's a huge um, need for more orientation and mobility specialists. Um, she's been telling me about this for years. She loves it. She, you know, you have kids. So we're certified to start teaching from birth. You can assess an infant. I'm actually taking a special education 550 right now, which is the children's course. So we learned, we watched videos, we've read a lot of documents, papers, articles, books about how to diagnose or how to assess infants and toddlers and babies, um, what kind of toys to play with them, you know, to make it less um, invasive as an ophthalmologist appointment. <laughs> and I'm sorry for all the <laughs> ophthalmologists listening right now. <laughs> I apologize, <laughs> but I do have oh, a lot of resistance. No, you could be a great resource for those people going forward. You know, you could, yeah. maybe, maybe there, maybe, you know, you could have a sideline in, um, in, in, in helping them design a more child and kid friendly practice. You never know. Right. Right. Um, but of course you're always going to have the resistant child like me <laughs> who just doesn't want to be there no matter what day of the week. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so she told me about this program through Portland State University that it's mostly virtual and it just worked out and they do offer scholarships. They receive something called the Ideals Grant and a part of that is you have to complete the master sequence, which is three quarters long research project. Um, you, you'll write a final research paper and conduct a case study. Um yeah, so I'm almost done with that. I'm halfway through the research um, sequence, and I'll be completely done with this whole program uh, by December of this year. So a few yeah. more months. A few more months, yeah. So like, you know, you mentioned earlier that there are a lot of people who have, have never been properly assessed. Yes. Now, there are also a lot of people like me who their last assessment was so long ago that it, re it really is irrelevant. And I only recently got a new assessment because I decided that I wanted to uh, pursue, pursue the possibility of getting a guide dog. So, nice. uh, yeah, so I've recently been assessed and now working with an orientation mobility instructor and I'm 55 will be 56 in April. And it's probably been 30 years or more since I had any O&M instruction. So we're wow. pretty much having to start at the beginning and, and, and learn everything all over again, you know, Right. That's really exciting. Uh, you know, getting the dog guide, it's kind of, you know, you got to jump through some hoops, so to speak. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and the schools that I've talked to so far are not really crazy about the idea of, of my location because it's semi-rural and they're concerned that the dog won't get enough training in urban conditions to maintain its instruction. So we're, mm -hmm. we're trying to work our way around that. And right now I'm I'm trying to come up with some routes that or some places nearby that I could go on a regular basis, even if I had to go there by taxi or Uber in order to maintain the dog. So it's, it's a, it would be a lot easier if I lived three, three miles further down the road where they have, you know, intersections. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, it says to me he's going to end at ten minutes. Okay. So we may have to we may have to start we may have to stop when it ends and do another meeting. Uh, I don't know. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, are there uh, are there any is does your course do y'all do anything as far as learning how to assess people for uh, for being qualified for a dog? Um, there, there's, there's, so there are a lot of assessment tools out there. You know, there's the New Mexico School for the Blind, there's TAPS, there's, there are plenty. And I'm sure I've read over one that includes the assessment for the dog. Um, I know you have to be, you don't have to be a certain age, but you have to be at a certain level with your, um, with your cane mechanics and your skills and where you're traveling. And like you mentioned, how much um uh how much is that dog going to be oh my gosh what am I trying to say like how many how many miles are you walking a week what is it going to be exposed to because the dog will start losing its abilities unfortunately right yeah and and my own instructor did exactly what you're talking about she she reached out and got one of the assessments from one of these organizations that you mentioned and we went through that assessment but yeah uh so it it you know it's one of those things why I create a brand new one if there are some great resources out there already. Um, one thing I th- I thought some of the questions were really weird. My the my favorite question that I that they had to explain to me to understand why it was a big deal. They asked me did I go many places that had escalators? Mm-hmm. Because escalators can can hurt the pads of the dog's feet and. If you are somewhere where they have escalators all the time, that means you have to use booties just like you're out in the snow. Right. So. Yeah, but, you don't want to get them. You don't want to damage them or hurt them. No, no. So, so back to you. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the program itself? How old the program is at Portland State University, and um, maybe mention a little bit about Amy since she's the director of the program. Oh, I would love to. Amy and I are, we're really great friends. We're totally in cahoots. We are working on Mobility Matters together. Um, I am a graduate assistant, so I'm a student employee of hers. And she has been doing the O&M program at PSU. I want to say it's in its fourth cohort. So before the pandemic, it was a brand new program and they were only taking students every other year and then COVID happened and then they opened it up to annually. Um, So every summer you can apply and hopefully get accepted. There are a couple of interviews to do um, to get into the program. Um, She's great. She's very knowledgeable. She has her doctorates. Um, She's been in the game a long time. She has a lot of resources to offer. She has a solution to anything and everything. (laughs) Uh, Very smart lady, very capable. Um, And if she doesn't have an answer or solution, she will find one. (laughs) So determined. Or or create one. Or create one. Exactly. Like this need for O&Ms in our country. So especially in like the Northwest region, she was saying, so their section um, includes Alaska and Hawaii, Idaho, so really rural places. Um, there's a great module we all have to take called um, so, uh, social distance. It's the distance consultation module. That's what it is. 
So it's how to provide ONM instruction over the phone or over Zoom. Um, there's a lot of like legal things that go into it because I, I know I can't tell you how to cross the street without being there and assessing <laughs> it with you. <laughs> right. I'm just but thinking, I can, sorry, go ahead. I'm just thinking, darn that COVID, uh, without COVID, some of y'all would be go would be headed off to Hawaii to work. I know, right? That just happened. They offered a that advanced cane class in Hawaii, and my partner and I, who did it in San Diego, were like, "Oh my goodness, we just missed that. <laughs> we missed it by one quarter. We could have done it in Hawaii." <laughs> yes, yeah. Right, so, not too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, just like with your instruction, you can do a lot of it virtually, but some of it, like the yes. intense cane cane training, has to be done in person, and you know, just like. Uh, teaching a lot of the teaching nowadays can be done virtually but as far as some of the more important some of the more risk things things where you really have to be able to, to judge the five students abilities in person before you decide for them to take that next step those have to be done in person but still it's amazing how much more work is being done virtually and I think I, 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 I'm hoping I'm not wrong about this that Y'all are able to do a lot of assessments with people virtually that are going to allow y'all to really hit the ground running once COVID is behind us for good. Right. We can do, so uh, virtually is not so much assessing, but it could be teaching. Okay. So we could talk about, you know, public transit in your area. We could talk about, do you live in a rural area? Do you live in the, in a city type of area what does the map of the city look like is it a perfect grid is it perfectly north and south east and west layered blocks um how like what's your goal do you are you trying to find the mailbox at the end of your road at the end of your driveway is it really far do you always miss your house could we put like wind chimes on your house so you know you know when you come up to it you could lift your hand up and touch it oh these are my wind chimes you know what i mean like sort of sort of like troubleshooting um virtually <laughs> yeah i I, uh, I have a good friend who it works in the area of of technology and he likes to say that there are there are simple complex complicated and complex ex adaptive technologies and what you're talking about are very simple ideas that mm -hmm. allow would allow somebody to feel confident that they're turning in at the right driveway and not going to end up trying to go into some stranger's house Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. No, it's all right. Go ahead. Uh, so, those are some great examples. I appreciate that. And if I so, if I understand this right, before COVID, uh, they would the training would last two years, and they would run a group of students every other year. Is that the way it used to be? Yes. Um, two years. It's kind of a gray area, depending on the student. So it's 45 credits, and that includes the master sequence. If you just want your O&M certificate, you don't have to complete the three-course master sequence. So give or take 45 credits over, yeah, over two years. Or you could do it faster if you take more classes, you know, simultaneously. Okay. All right. So. Yeah. And as far as the different levels of certification, does that mean you're you're serving different clients or ser serving different needs for those clients, or is it is it a 
arbitrary difference? Good question. So the O&M certi certification is just the course and it's going to, you're going to complete that course. You will be, you won't be a certified O&M specialist until you pass a national exam by ACRVP, ACVREP, sorry. So after. I'm sorry. I've been getting, with all the stuff, all the new names <laughs> I've had to learn over the last 10 days, I'm just happy I'm not the only one getting them all right. <laughs> So, no, but it is a really good question. So if you wanted to become a comms or a certified O&M specialist, you have to pass the ACVREP national exam. So if I take the exam in California, which I am going to when I'm ready, um, and I pass, you'll know right there on the dot when you, if you pass or fail because it's an electronic answer. I can go anywhere in the United States. I could go to Hawaii and still service anybody from birth to however old they are that need um, O&M services. Okay. Without that, um, you can just be an OMS, Orientation and Mobility Specialist, not certified. Um, depending on what state you're in or where you're going, you might run into some paperwork trouble. But that's the biggest difference. Okay. So it's kind of like the learning it, the same thing. Yeah, right. So with the regular OM certification, it's kind of like having a, a, a bar association card. A Texas lawyer right. a Texas lawyer might be accepted in Virginia or New York, but they may have to fill out some extra paperwork first. Exactly. Okay. All right. Well that makes that makes sense then. Um, uh, I think we may end up having to Okay, so you mentioned that there's a shortage of teachers, but it uh, it occurs to me that the bigger problem is there's there's a, probably a large number of people who either don't realize they need instruction or who refuse to accept that they need instruction. So, uh, what can you tell people who are fighting the idea of a white cane or uh, of some other techniques that you might teach them to make it easier for them to navigate the world around them. Right. Well, that's the million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> so in my, in my brief <laughs> history of O&M, personally, I have realized that it's a lot more of the younger crowd, the younger generation that's resistant to using the long white cane. They don't want to be seen with it. They don't want to be seen with it in front of their peers um, which is understandable at, you know, at a younger age, you just want to fit in as much as you can. You're not trying to stick out. Um, right. But I think in that first couple of lessons, building that rapport with your O&M instructor and really finding out how much safer you are traveling with the white cane, you kind of come to the realization like, oh, okay, you know, it's not that bad, <laughs> but it's going to keep me from falling down the stairs and falling off the curbs. Um, at first and foremost, it's safety. You know, you want to be able to, to, to be prepared for what's coming up in front of you on the sidewalk. Or is there a curb? Is there a big crack in it? Is there, is there, you know, trash in the way? So safety right. first, first and foremost. Right. Are you able to bring in any conversation about how it might help their confidence and self-esteem by being able to control their world a little more 
because they've had the training? Right. That's a huge one, too. Um, I was actually just recently teaching a woman who is 70 years old um, to ascend and descend a set of stairs because she had an experience where it was someone in the family's birthday and the restaurant that they were going to had stairs out in front and she didn't want to be seen. She didn't want to be quote unquote pulled up the stairs by a family (laughs) member and poor thing. She, she wanted to look good and feel confident and get up the stairs and go, you know, with dignity, like, yes, I can do it. Have that confidence and look good while I'm doing it. Like I look like I know what I'm doing. I don't need assistance. It's a huge, huge thing. I'm really glad you brought that up. Yes, yeah. I totally, I can totally attest to that. Yeah, and that's probably a, a helpful thing is to try to tap into confidence and also dignity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now, where it comes when it comes to the white cane, where do you stand on the whole new thing where you're seeing more colored canes and striped colored canes, especially among the younger people? Um, I think it depends on where you're living and what it means in your state and in your city and county. Um, I know here in California, you can have an identity cane, which is just white. There's no red on the bottom of it. So it just has that, the, um, rubber grip. You can pick whatever color you'd like for that. Um, I think it's great. It shows your, your individuality. It's not just, oh, there's a blind person, (laughs) you know, um, wow, look at her cane. It's pink or his cane is pink or blue. I think that's really, that's special. It shows like their individualization. That's their uniqueness. It's their personality coming through. I've even seen little, um, charms that they hang at the edge. So, you know, at the very, um, top of the grip, there's an extra rubber, Um, the elastic cord that runs through it I've seen some um, people with charms on the end of their cord and I think it's great like it totally is you're expressing your individuality yeah yeah okay all right and then um uh, you were talking about oh yeah I was I have a friend from Australia her name is uh, Maribel Steele and she's uh, a singer and a, a author and her husband designed a cane that lights up and what he did was he attached a string of led light bulbs to it and then connected those to a couple of AAA batteries mm-hmm. that, that are taped to the handle of her cane so now when she goes out at night she's not only seen but uh, it's it's become kind of like a a style you know her her signature when people that in her area see her out at night with her light up cane yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, I've seen that's really cool. I think that's a great economical solution, especially if she has really low vision and at night, especially when it's dark out, there's not a lot of light around her. If that helps her, um, you know, helps her see a little bit more at yeah. nighttime. I've seen some st- uh, canes with lights that are they're just really heavy so they're still in the process of being like renovated and like re um yeah well that's the good thing about the leds is there's very lightweight and they put out a lot they put out a lot of light in relation to the power that's required for them so i thought that was a really cool idea of hers and she'll be seen from farther away than with that reflective tape will um reflect yeah yeah and they the other thing from my personal experience, and I, and I imagine this is probably also a big motivator with you, is 
is when a student has had an injury or almost had an injury or their their parents have seen them have an injury or almost have an injury. Right. So in using the white cane, you, you know, safety first always. And as a parent, even with my two kids, they're little, they're two and four. So we're, (laughs) we have a lot of accidents around here. (laughs) Um, Even my two-year-old, she's like jumping off couches and I'm like, oh no. (laughs) Um, So you definitely want to keep your kids safe. You want to keep your, your, your own body safe and using that long white cane correctly and utilizing it day to day outside and traveling, it's really going to get you a lot farther and it's a lot more efficient. Right. Um, you don't have to, you know, some, a lot of people don't like to use it around their own homes. They don't need to, they have that, they have their homes memorized like the back of their hand. But if you are going somewhere new or semi new, you're still not exactly 100% sure about what's going on around you. It's really, it's a great, it's a great way to verify. Is that curb there? Is there a curb cut? You know, where, where is the bus stop bench exactly? Yeah. And you just, I feel like you look better doing it when you look like you've had training and you look confident. Yeah. Confidence is attractive. Yes. Yeah. I just remember when I was starting to use my white cane, uh, my brother actually liked it because he said, as long as I had my cane out, people wouldn't assume that he was gay because we were going side to guide together. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You never can tell what 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 argument will work to get people to carry their white cane is all uh, I was trying to say, you know. Is, is that what got you to use it? Uh, <laughs> no, actually actually I had I had a big advantage. Um when I started using the learning to use the white cane, my O and M instructor basically would get, get me out of some of my afternoon classes nice. a couple of times a week. So Instead of being in school, I was out crossing streets and uh, walking sidewalks and learning to right. na- navigate, getting on and off of bus and bus transit, all those sorts of things. So anytime you get out of school, that's a good thing, you know? And, well, yeah, <laughs> it's getting out of school to do a different type of school. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, but trust well, me. It's point of view, yeah. It's it's like, yeah, see you later. <laughs> He's outside. We know he's in school, but he's outside. We're not, you know, that's, right, that was right. the good part about that. So, um, but yeah, yeah I, I think, I think it's really important that uh, parents and also individuals that even if you don't feel unsafe, it's a good thing to have an assessment every so often, just like, just like, even though there's not much they can do for my vision, I still have an eye exam every so often. So I would think that, you know, we need to encourage people to go to have an assessment if they haven't had one in a long time and yeah. really to make sure that you're safe in your home and when you're traveling to and from your home. Yes, definitely. So why don't you tell people a little bit more about the Mobility Matters Conference and what they can expect there and why it's important that they attend? Yeah. Definitely. Um, the Mobility Matters Conference is put on by the College of Education from Portland State University, um, mostly hosted by Dr. Amy Parker and Dr. Holly Lawson. And Dr. Lawson is the head of the Teachers for the Visually Impaired program, so TVI program at PSU, which is also um, a part of that ideals grant I was talking about earlier. If you want to become a TVI, you just apply and apply for that grant as well. 
very both both of them are very very intelligent very capable so they put on this conference every year and there's always a theme this year it's climate um so we're going to be talking about climate justice and um disabilities so how they come together so um the climate change topic has been a hot hot topic button for the last you know decade i would say um but this now it, we're incorporating or weaving together inclusive transportation and public space design with and for people with disabilities, like you mentioned earlier. So we have a keynote speaker. She's actually from New Zealand, but she's living in Norway. Her name is Anya Kelly Costello. She's she has a master's as well in international journalism. She's a Paralympic athlete and always advocating for people with disabilities. She's um, giving a great keynote about uh, disability justice as a part of climate change, climate justice, and what these new terminology, this new terminology that's emerging like ableism, and things that she's experienced from her perspective of life. So that's a, that's a really great keynote. It sounds heavier than it really is. <laughs> um, I will say the very end of her keynote speech talks about what to expect in the future. And then we go into a panel, um, which includes a doctor, Dr. Annette Caspi, and um, Murado May and Hendrik Opelston. And they... Um, are going to talk about inclusive transportation evaluation frameworks. So uh, who are they designing for? What does it look like? How does the climate aspect come into play? Um, and then next in the, the lineup of the conference, there's going to be case studies on accessibility and inclusive planning. So these are literal places like um, Port of Portland, we have Walt Marchbanks talking for about, I think, five or 10 minutes about how the Portland, it's PDX, so Portland's International Airport is becoming more inclusive. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard of Good Maps, um, the app you can download onto your phone and it tells you step-by-step instructions, how far away things are. Um, it's really information. It's a really great resource to have on your phone while you're traveling. Um, Good Maps actually did map out a wing of the international of Portland's international airport. And so that streams right into the next segment of the conference, which is wayfinding good maps and partnerships for access. And we have Mike May talking. Um, he is also a visually impaired individual and uh, Daryl Adams from Intel, which is huge. That Intel is working with Good Maps, which is really cool. Um, this is a half-day conference, so it is from eight eight a.m. to twelve p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're in Texas, that's ten to two. Um. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great, it's, it's a great conference. You're starting, starting small and it's getting bigger. It's, you know, what, what are we doing in the community, in your community? What are we doing in the Pacific Northwest? What can we do globally? Are these 
um, are these plans for more environmentally conscious trans, um, transport stations and inclusive places, are they, are they okay for the environment? Are we just ignoring, are we ignoring how people are misusing things in the environment? Are we looking at the bigger picture? Are we really making a difference? Um, right. And the one thing that I have, uh, it's come, come clear for me over the last week of, of talk, speaking with the people who will be presenting is that there's really a new approach of universal design and that universal design takes into account uh, accessibility for people with disabilities. It takes into account accessibility for uh, groups who will have differing needs based on age or medical conditions that maybe aren't considered disabilities at this time. It may it has to take into account environmental concerns. It also has right. to take into account visitability, whether it can whether it will have a sustainable use over long periods of time. And then even in some cases, this universal design also takes into account gender issues. So it's 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 interesting to see this concept starting to come together. And it's really on display at this conference of universal design and designing for the next 20, 30, or 50 years, as opposed to just designing for the immediate needs of a community or a business. Yes, really, it's, yeah, it's really important. You know, that sustainability topic, it's a hot button issue right now. It has been because it's important. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, it's exciting that Dr. Amy Parker chose that for a theme and, and Dr. Holly Lawson solidified it and said, yes, I think this is something we need to be talking about. This is something we can tackle from our <laughs> little O&M program. <laughs> yeah. At Portland State well, yeah, not so little, you know, um, but the, the, as, as you were talking about the conference, it reminded me of something that I should have asked you sooner, which is where does uh, knowledge of the available uh, electronic devices and apps come in to somebody who's teaching mobility? Depends on, you mean like to the students or to our clients? No, I mean, I mean, does this, does this create a big area where you have to educate yourself or is it something where you work with the client to help them decide on, uh, on devices and apps that work best for their safe navigation? I mean, we're, where does the technology come in as far as being an O&M instructor? Well, we are taught about the, the technology in our advanced cane course at the very end. So after we have all of our basic, like a really strong foundation of cane mechanics, you know, what I would say, quote unquote, is the old school way <laughs> of getting around. <laughs> yeah. Um, then they introduce some apps to us. I personally downloaded the Good Maps app. Um, I was out on the street in um, in like more of an urban neighborhood in Hillcrest, San Diego. And out of me and my partner and our two instructors, we all downloaded different apps. <laughs> and mine was the most accurate and it worked the fastest. <laughs> so kudos to Good Maps. Um, I, I mean... I yeah. think it depends on the student, which is the answer that even when I ask questions in schooling, uh, I hate that answer. It depends, but it really just depends um, on my client or my student. Are they ready 
to use a map? Are they really solid? Do they have a really solid foundation of old school cane mechanics? Can they get around without it? This is just going to, is just going to verify and it's just going to complement their, their skill set because you can't a hundred percent depend on the map. What if your phone dies? Yeah. Been there more than a few times myself. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. 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 So what I'm hearing is, is that technology is just like, uh, it's just like my application for a dog. And before you address the, the, the idea of, of, physical technology like OrCam or eSight or, or apps like uh, Ma- like uh, Good Maps or uh, Find Be My Eyes or, or mm-hmm. Era, you have you st- you have to make sure that the student is solidly grounded in their cane skills. So yeah. that that makes perfect sense. And then, you know, I don't I don't like I get I get a little tired of giving that answer when I talk to people who want to start podcasts, but it does end up being the best answer it comes down to the person you're working with because some people some people are very tech savvy and they enjoy using technology and they enjoy figuring out how to make it work as as well as possible and other people would just just can't be bothered or feel like it's an additional learning curve that they don't need yes it's definitely a learning curve when you're trying to listen to traffic and pedestrian traffic and bicycles and then you have this app with the, the robot voice talking in the background and you're like, well, hold on a second. Cause I really need to pay attention to this intersection right now. <laughs> it's a lot on your brain, right? It's a lot of stimuli. And, and in some cases, and there are people, like you said, who are technologically advanced and they, they, you know, absolutely bask in it and it totally helps them. And it's there just to verify, I would say, always use your gut instinct first and always trust your your mechanics and your skills this is just an added bonus now you have an extra verifier yes it is 300 feet on the right hand side <laughs> yeah i have arrived <laughs> yes yes um i have often told people that one of the the advantages i have i have as a blind person when traveling is that I have so much information that I have to pay attention to that I really just don't have brain power left over to, for, to be thinking about the what ifs. So when yes. people ask me why I'm not more afraid when I travel, I tell them just too much stuff to concentrate on to think about being afraid. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and it is that way, whether you're going strictly on your own cane skills or going sighted guide or going with a dog, or mm-hmm. pe- people who have some vision and, and are using like monoculars or, uh, you know, other devices, it really is, it does take a lot of focus. And maybe that's one thing we should explain more to the sighted world that while we appreciate their help and we would love to take it, sometimes we're just so focused on what we're doing that mm-hmm. we, re- we really can't notice that th- we can't even notice that they're there. Right. You kind of tune out what's the unnecessary. What am I doing right now? What am I looking for? How am I going to get there? And how am I going to do it as safely and efficiently as possible? Totally understand that. Yeah. And then, you know, back to the, it depends on the student, whatever works best for the student. That's what I usually go back to when people are asking me about starting their own podcast. It's like, you know, some people, uh, some people are great at technology and they would do things differently than I do them. So Right. Right. And that you can totally apply that concept to O&M instruction as well. There are more than one way 
to get to that, to the, to the destination, right? It's, you kind of have to let your student take the lead and it's hard as an instructor and as a parent too, because I want to show you the most efficient way and the safest way, but I have to let you, you have to let you do it. You show me how you get there with the, the mechanics and the knowledge that you have, and then we can troubleshoot as needed. You know what I mean? You kind of have to let them problem solve. And that is also a, a big thing a big topic in this program is letting the student problem solve because it's going to boost their confidence when they do solve it. Yeah. So something that I'm curious about, and I would imagine some of the people listening to this are curious about, do you sometimes have the same feelings of a parent when you're watching your student? I mean, are there times when you're like, Oh "Oh, no, no, don't do that. Oh, wait a minute. You got away with it. Um, (laughs) Oh yes. It's, it's hard because it's like teaching anybody to do anything. You want to just do it for them, right? But it's like that old saying, you know, give a man a fish, he'll have, he'll eat for a day. But if you teach him how to fish, he can feed himself, right? Yeah. So it's really hard. And it's, oh, I always want to cross that line where I'm like, okay, let me help you. <laughs> <laughs> but I just have to like, I have to like shut myself down and to turn off that inner voice. And I'm like, no, like let her let her make the mistake because if I let her problem solve through it at the very end, she'll figure out, Oh, this is what I did wrong. This is what I, you know, I veered. And then I ran into this wall and then I knew that the street had to be on my left side. So I had to turn, you know, like totally letting you do it yourself. And then in the future, if that ever happens again, you'll come back to that lesson and remember, Oh, this happened to me. I remember this wall. I have to turn towards, you know, where should my traffic be? Should it be on my left? Oh, it's on my right. Okay, let me reorient myself. So yeah, I do have to like turn off the mom voice <laughs> and like and that wanting to like just like take you by sighted guide back to the sidewalk, but you know, ultimately I, I can't. I won't. I have to stop myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh one of those people who I my default position is just to find the next person that I run into and go sighted guide. I, I have a, I have a, a strong ability to, uh, to connect with strangers and generally end up where I was, was wanting to go, even if it takes more than one person's shoulder to get me there. Wow. But yeah. I, I have people who are impressed by this and I have other people who cringe at this when I tell them that <laughs> when I, when I visited New York city in 2016, there was more than once where I spent the whole day going from one person's shoulder to the next. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, got back home every time. <laughs> Thank goodness. Apartment, I was, well, you know, I, 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 uh, you know, I, I had enough sense to avoid places that are obviously dangerous, but for the mm-hmm. most part, for the most part, there, I, I've run into people who are, are fairly helpful and accommodating. And I, I tell people it's because I, I meet the people I expect to meet. And right. unfortunately, a lot of people are expecting trouble around every corner. So, uh, all right. So why don't you remind people when the conference is? And if you happen to know the link, you're more than welcome to share it. But I couldn't remember that link. on the <laughs> Right. Uh, hopefully in the future, we will have a domain name. I'm going to work on that soon. Uh, for now, the conference is on Thursday, 
March 3rd. It's in Pacific time. So here on the West Coast, that's 8 a.m. to 12 noon. It's over. So it's just a half day conference for comms listening in. There are ACVREP and AICP credits available. So to continue having that title of comms, every five years you have to renew it. And with the renewal, you have to prove that you're still educating yourself in the newest um, not the newest, but attending conferences and talks that are going to benefit you as an O&M instructor. So this conference does offer credits for those. Um, it's easy to register <laughs> once you get the link. <laughs> um, the student, student tickets are only $10. And I think everyone will benefit from this um, inclusivity and climate justice and disability justice and what are planners how are they planning to build stations and transports sustainably um it's a great crossroads right it's really unique well by the time thursday rolls around they will have gotten a chance to hear my conversations with anya kelly costella and uh and michael may and uh, Walter Marshall Banks. So I'm hopeful that we will have done our part to convince people that they need to sign up for the conference, which uh, that third interview will be on Wednesday, which is the day before the the official conference. So y'all will still have time to register and attend. And then just for people who are still paying attention, on Friday the 4th, I'm going to have a conversation with Amy, the director of the program and also the organizer of the event. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened this year, talk about her program, and then also what plans they may have for next year. Mm -hmm. Because as a podcast, we're really hoping that these conversations will, you know, will will stay out there and stay in people's minds and be a way that drives them to, to be thinking about this for next year. And we'll, yeah, and we'll do some stuff online to so these these come back around where people can see them again before next year's conference. Just just to yeah. kind of help people do that. Um, so I so uh, Samantha, I really appreciate you spending some time with me. Do you happen to have a personal social media account or the social media links for the department you would like to share? Uh, no, I don't. Um, for the department of uh, the education, the College of Education at PSU. Yeah, I could just forward you the email, uh, the website address for them if you would want to okay. post that at the top yeah, of your I'll website. Yeah, I'll post those. Yeah, I'll post those. So right. also, um, one last thing before we go, on the Mobility Matters Conference website, there's a tab called Resources. And there are a plethora of resources, websites, um, actual plans of like Port of Portland and places that um Jim tool Jim um oh I can't think of his last name right now the there's a someone speaking from tool design he's posted some great resources about um how people are getting around and the future of that and those resources will be up there on that website um permanently so even if for whatever reason you cannot attend the conference it's it's a great place to to reach out and find more information on our website Oh, great. Um, that's, it's wonderful that those resources are going to be there for people. And uh, we, 
definitely look forward to this being a, a great conference. It's going to provide a lot of information, but also hopefully provide the uh, the initiative for a lot of people to think about things in a way they hadn't thought of them before. Right. Okay, well, Samantha, thank you so much. And if you'll sit with me just a couple of minutes, I'd like to record my ending before they stop the recording out there at Zoom, okay? Sure, sounds right. good. Thank you. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, we had another uh, great conversation this time with Samantha. And we got to learn a little bit about her her life growing up and why it is that the uh, or, orientation and mobility instructor position or career uh, resonated with her when uh, her friend came along and challenged her or, or tried to persuade her. I, I've done some of the, my best things in my life by being dared into doing them by good friends. So I can appreciate that. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I'm really impressed with her continuing her education and being able to do as much of it virtually as possible. And I think that speaks to the whole, what's your excuse mindset of uh, finding solutions where, uh, wherever they may be, creating some uh, unique solutions of your own, but uh, not being afraid to adopt and embrace solutions that other people have come up with to allow you to accomplish your goal. And in this case, it's virtual. Who knows what the, the solutions will be going forward. But, uh, you know, not only the virtual classes from Portland State, but also the in-person stuff that she's been able to do through the San Diego Center for the Blind. So that really speaks to our what's your excuse mindset. Uh, also, it you know, the way she brings a positive attitude and a great sense of humor to everything that she's doing, I think that's a great lesson by example. I do hope that y'all have enjoyed this conversation with uh, Samantha. I hope that y'all will continue to support the podcast and that you will consider attending the conference or at least telling your friends about the conference. Uh, again, you can find the podcast at theblindblogger.net or you can find this podcast and the other shows hosted by people with disabilities on the What's Your Excuse Network at wyexcuse.com. Uh, you can also tell Alexa or Google to just play What's Your Excuse. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and the major players as well. And I do want as many people to hear this as possible as we go forward to next week. I've really enjoyed this wonderful opportunity that I received from the Mobility Matters Conference organizers. And I'm hoping that y'all can help me show the proper gratitude by driving as many people to come check out the website and register as possible. So until next time, I want to thank you for your continued support of the show. I couldn't do this without you. Uh, please take care out there now. Uh, goodbye. Too many times we stand aside and let the water slip away to what we put off to tomorrow as fine we come today. So don't stand upon the shoreline and say you're satisfied. Choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide.